Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, September the 23rd, 2022, the end of the week. And perhaps, um, and I don't want to jinx myself, the end of COVID. We're coming into what we might think of as the aftermath of COVID. Biden announced last week that the pandemic is over. Uh, his team, as I think most people know, suggests that it's more complicated. It's always more complicated than politicians present. Biden kind of uh, took back some of his words, but we all know what he meant. The Asian countries are dropping their border restrictions, the Asian countries, and uh, I'm going to speak on behalf of all Asian countries, but China and Japan were particularly, I think, nervous on the COVID front. Um, we've got still lots of our arguments suggesting that the end of COVID is worse than we imagined, three times more people now still are dying of COVID than of the flu, but that doesn't seem that bad. It's just a bad flu. Lots of pieces now in the Times, for example, about whether we should get our flu shot and the new COVID booster at the same time. Um, it seems increasingly that COVID is like a bad case now of the flu. So we are in the aftermath. We did a show at the beginning of the week with a Nashville-based um, uh, Dr. Alex Jahangir, he heads up the or headed up the COVID task force in Tennessee. He suggested that COVID isn't over until we fix some of America's fundamental social and cultural problems. He lays this out in his new diary, Hotspot, a doctor's diary from the pandemic. But it's these kind of diaries that perhaps suggest that we are indeed in the aftermath of COVID. And that is the subject of our conversation today, or perhaps more broadly, plagues and their aftermath with my guest, Brian Michael Jenkins. He has a new book out, Plagues and Their Aftermath, How Societies Recover from Pandemics. And Brian is joining us from just south on the peninsula from where I am in San Francisco in San Mateo. Brian, welcome. Um, Thank you I don't very want to spend much. the whole time here talking about COVID, but are we in the aftermath, Brian? Is it in the rearview mirror finally? Well, I would I would be cautious about that. I mean, uh, look, I'm 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 not a public health official nor nor a physician, uh, but but people tend to think of pandemics as finite events, you know, that begin with with patient zero and and end with in in a sense an official announcement that the uh, that the disease has been eradicated. Uh, the fact is that pandemics historically have had uh, ragged endings. That is, uh, they are followed by new surges. There may be recurrence of of, of the same the same disease uh, months away, or in some cases years away. I mean, even if we go back to the you know, the Black Death of the 14th century. Certainly, there was the massive death toll of 1348 uh, to, to the early 1350s. But then again, there, there, it, it kept on coming back over the next 300 years. And mm, so it's, it's never ending. Um, 
Brian, uh, you're a, a senior advisor to the RAND president. You're a long-time uh, high-end uh, RAND consultant. Uh, you've authored a number of books. Um, many of you, many of our viewers and listeners will be familiar with your 2008 book, Will Terrorists Go Nuclear? Uh, you've, you've written mostly about security and military affairs, and that... Um, and that shadows your career at Rand. What attracted you to to write this book? As you say, you're not a you're not an epidemiologist. You're not a medical doctor. What attracted you to writing a book about plagues? Actually, I you know I didn't start out intending to write a book um, because of the travel restrictions imposed by the COVID nineteen pandemic. I, I was obliged to spend less time on airplanes and more time at home. And I, and I used the time really to read about uh, past pandemics. And I became fascinated exploring the topic, going back and forth between what happened uh, in, in previous uh, episodes and what was happening today. And like all explorers, I kept a journal. And ultimately, the journal simply turned into a book. Uh, and the book is, as we suggested earlier, Plagues and Their Aftermath, How Societies Recover from Pandemics. It's a wise book because it's a historical book. Rather than speculating on the future or coming up with abstract theories, uh, you wrote the book in the history of plagues. Um, and you cover a number of them from the plague in Athens during the Peloponnesian War in 430 BC to one in 540 AD, the Black Death, SARS, 1918. Um, what plague in particular, Brian, uh, should we begin with? I mean, um, chronologically, of course, I guess we could begin with the Peloponnesian War Plague. That's the first one in the Western tradition that historians know about. But is there a particular plague? If there's just one plague to make sense of our COVID times, is there one plague that we should focus on that you would advise people to think about and read about in your book and elsewhere? No, there, there, there's not one single one. In fact, what was what was so interesting to me in terms of, of, of reading about these, whether it was the you know, the plagues of the Middle Ages or the cholera uh, epidemics of the, of, of the 19th century or the 1918 uh, flu pandemic, which is a certain, certainly the one that's closest to us in, in time and, and uh, national experience, uh, was the recurring themes. In other words, the historians of these previous plagues, whether writing uh, close to the time or centuries later, would not be surprised by many of the things that we are observing in the COVID-19 pandemic. There were so many similarities. Um, th these included uh, the issue of, of resistance to, to measures. Uh, sudden massive outbreaks of disease require uh, government intervention to try to attempt to, to deal with the, the disaster. Um, those in turn put government into spaces that are normally beyond political control. I mean, they really begin to affect people's lives, uh, people's livelihoods, uh, and that provokes resistance. So 
resistance to control measures was a common feature. Scapegoating was another common feature. That is blaming the, the plague, whatever, whatever the disease was, blaming it on immigrants, blaming it on, uh, on uh, the Jews, the Asians, uh, uh, some group or another. And, we, and, and that often translates into, uh, into not only stigmatizing certainly certain communities, but also in, in fact to, uh, in some cases, provoking uh, actual physical violence against certain communities. That was a common feature. I think the striking difference uh, in, in this particular case, in COVID-19, was we, we have modern medicine. And, and modern medicine, not just the vaccine, but um, the, the, uh, the drugs, the antiviral drugs, the ability of our uh, intensive care units to preserve life, to keep life going, uh, even while the body is assaulted by these, um, that is a striking thing that really kept uh, fatalities in this particular case far lower than we had seen in previous uh, in previous epidemics. Um, and of course, we had the vaccines, but we also have more anti-vaxxers. Right, we have more anti-vaxxers, and we have more conspiracy virus theories. We've had shows about how the conspiracy virus is in many ways more dangerous or equally dangerous as COVID. Lots of shows about our, what Robert Pearl, a distinguished American physician, talks about the parallel pandemics of anxiety and gun violence in America as with COVID. It's one of the features, um, Brian, of previous plagues that commentators have often confused or flattened uh, the, the, the medical epidemic with social and political problems of inequality, for example. No, that, that's an important point. And, and again, uh, uh, my book, uh, Plagues in Her Aftermath, is, is not focused on the, the medical issues or the public health issues, the epidemiology. Uh, rather, it's, it, it's focused on the consequences. What are the economic consequences, the, uh, the societal consequences, the psychological consequences uh, uh, of these events? And, and in that particular case, in, uh, one thing that is common in previous pandemics and in this one is that pandemics expose and exacerbate uh, the social inequities, you know, mm. uh, throughout history, the, you know, in, in the 14th century, the nobles could, could escape to their uh, castles in the, in the countryside. Um, today, I suppose the super wealthy can escape to their, their ranches in, in, um, in Montana or their, or, uh, or to space as, uh, Bezos and Musk are trying to do so. Although, I mean, to, the, uh, the Middle Ages lasted three or four hundred years after the Black Death, so it's not necessarily the aftermath of a, of a major pandemic, whether it's the, the Black Death, which was much more dramatic than, than COVID, doesn't necessarily result in profound social or political upheaval, does it, Brian? 
Not always. I mean, there's no there's no direct line from uh, you know from a virus to uh, to political violence. Al although certainly we have seen uh, social tension, social disorder, in in some cases uh, actual outbreaks of of internal rebellions associated with the with the uh, with the consequences of of previous pandemics. And, and certainly in the United States, we have seen a dramatic increase in, in criminal violence uh, over the past uh, couple of years. You know, the, the homicide rate in the United States in 2020 went up 30%. It went up another 6% in 2021. Uh, put those two together, you get a 38% increase in homicides in the United States where the homicide rate was already high. We haven't seen anything like that in decades. And maybe uh, some people might expect that kind of conclusion from a RAND consultant. You could also suggest that COVID produced Black Lives Matter movement and many other social movements affecting uh, injustice. How, how would you respond to those arguments about something like Black Lives Matter and COVID? I, I don't know that I, I would be somewhat, I would be cautious. I'm cautious altogether in, in, in terms of looking for these neat direct links. I mean, look, uh, uh, history, real life uh, is a lot more complicated uh, than it sometimes looks in the rearview mirror. Uh, yes, there was a coincidence between the Black Lives Matter protests and, and the pandemic, but the protests themselves seems, seems to have been motivated. The protests were motivated really by concerns about endemic racism and, and police violence toward uh, the, the black community. And, and that's something that has its own trajectory. Now, the trajectory of the pandemic and the trajectory of, 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 of racism in American society uh, those intersected, but I would, that, that's correlation. I, I would be careful about uh, looking at causality there. Uh, when it comes to causality and correlation, uh, Thucydides famously argued that um, one consequence of the, uh, of the plague of Athens, BC 430, might have been, I'm not sure the undermining of democracy, but certainly undermining the Athenian principles of the city-state. Um, given the vulnerability of American democracy, um, is there one aftermath scenario of COVID that um, democracy itself might be the ultimate victim of the pandemic of 2018? I, I, I certainly hope not. But, you know, look, um, democracies, the, the democracies of the world did not really perform uh, brilliantly during the COVID-19 pandemic. In fact, uh, about two thirds of the countries that are, that are ranked as, as being full democracies uh, had mortality rates that were far above uh, the world average. Now, part of that it, it may be due to, to differences in reporting, but certainly the optics weren't good. Um, 
but beyond that, I, I, I do, I, I am concerned that, uh, I, I won't say the fate of democracy, but, but certainly governability may be more difficult in the post-pandemic uh, environment. As I say, we've seen, uh, we've seen new uh, political coalitions emerge. We've seen as a consequence of the pandemic uh, perhaps a, a, a renewed assertion of states' rights versus the federal government. We've seen striking differences uh, in the political approaches to it. What happened is that the uh, really the response to the, pan, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, very, very quickly conformed to the already deep political divide in America, and it deepened that divide. So we can't, we can't blame COVID-19 for uh, the polarization of American politics. That was something that was developing uh, over a, a long period of time. But certainly we have seen that intensify in, in, in the last two and a half years. Brian, you mentioned um, democracies performing badly, particularly, I think, the US and the UK, which are the poster children for poor performing democracies under COVID. I mentioned earlier that Asian countries now are dropping their border restrictions. In the 21st century, as the great conflict now seems to be in political terms between American or Western-style democracy and Chinese-style technocracy, authoritarian technocracy. Do you think that the experience of, of COVID um, has strengthened the Chinese model of wise authoritarian technocracies? Or I use that word carefully, wise. Not everyone would necessarily agree. I, uh, you know, I, perhaps uh, at least in, in perceptions, but I think we want to wait and see on that. Actually, uh, authoritarian governments uh, didn't uh, perform exceptionally well. I mean, uh, populists, of course, populists had had a difficult time uh, with this. But but it's 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 hard to say that the autocracies of the world uh, were were also were. were the Chinese were performed. Uh, I mean, obviously, COVID began in China, but. The Chinese response to COVID seems to be a lot more successful than the American response, isn't it? It 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 does appear to be, and 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 here again, you know, in in being able to exercise uh, absolute authority in a central government and impose these kinds of of lockdowns, which have enormous societal and economic consequences. Uh, yes, authoritarian governments do have an advantage there. In a democracy, there are limits to coercion. Um, and we certainly have seen that demonstrated, you know, in, in the United States, where, uh, which is already a federal system where, in, in fact, um, the maintenance of public health, public health issues is primarily a state level responsibility uh, the federal government can hope to lead, it can advise, uh, but it cannot impose ultimate authority 
over the people of the United States. In fact, the people of the United States, as, as I think we all know, uh, can be a cantankerous lot and, and, and it's difficult to impose anything uh, on, on them. So I'm not sure that an authoritarian response would have worked in the United States. It may simply have further fueled the kind of resistance uh, that we already see. And, and that's, that's something that we're really probably have to examine going forward. And that is, how does a government persuade its people as opposed to coerce its people to going along with measures that are ultimately of benefit to the entire nation or even more broadly to a global population. That's something we're going to face down the road as we as we deal with issues pertaining to to uh, climate change. Brian, you mentioned earlier that the closest equivalent to COVID is the 1918 flu pandemic, um, influenza pandemic that took many, many lives, the so-called Spanish flu epidemic. It, of course, resulted in profound political instability, the growth of very, at that point at least, modern political movements, particularly fascism. Do you see any new political movements, organizations, ideologies coming out of our experience of COVID? You know, Andrew, you mentioned earlier the the observation of... of um, you know some of these uh, uh, crazy conspiracy theories that that have that have emerged at, at times at least to me reading about uh, about past pandemics and and this one in particular it seemed to me that we were dealing with with two pandemics uh, one was covid-19 and the other was a kind of uh, collective madness for which we had no vaccine um but the fact is that some of these conspiracy theories uh, have really insinuated themselves into mainstream uh, politics. Uh, potentially, uh, they become uh, they begin to affect uh, the perceptions of larger political uh, larger political movements. We also saw a fascinating thing uh, here, especially in the United States, but also in Europe. And, and that was the coalescence of the anti-vaccination movement, which has been around for a long time, and the extreme right wing. We, we, we saw it uh, on display in the, in the truckers' occupation of, of Ottawa. Uh, we've seen it at, at the rallies in which um, extreme right wing groups uh, participated in uh, anti-vaccination protests and anti-vaxxers participating in in some of the uh, uh, far right-wing activities. That's a that's something new. Now, it usually when when something like that is created as the pandemic fades, those movements don't necessarily fade. They they look for new causes. Uh, because each one benefits from the added strength of the other. So right. Although I'm not sure. Thing in society. I mean, we've done shows on QAnon, which to me seems exaggerated in terms of a movement. And we did a show earlier this week on the wellness movement, which seems to be more on the progressive front. And the wellness crowd have rejected, um, or that their 
they're, they're leading some of the, the movement against rejecting the COVID vaccine. So I'm not sure it always breaks down traditional left, right? Finally, um, finally, Brian, what about the moral consequences in plagues and their aftermath? Um, uh, Camus, The Plague was, of course, a book that we all reread um, in 2020, a magnificent book as relevant today as, as anything written in the 20th century. Um, what lessons on the moral front um, did you learn from writing the book about plagues and their aftermath? And uh, do you think Camus' book on the plague is still as relevant today as it was in the 1940s? Oh, I, 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 I certainly think it, it is uh, extremely relevant. And it was uh, among the, uh, the pile of books I was, I, I was exploring uh, uh, during, during the pandemic. Uh, but in, in, in terms of, of moral, what, what we see developing during pandemics, I mean, these, these uh, affect, us, uh, affect us emotionally, they affect our belief systems. Uh, and in some cases, they can lead to uh, a renewal of faith. In some cases, they can lead to a denial of, of faith. And we certainly have examples of, of, of both tendencies. They can also lead to a kind of, um, I don't want to say, an, an amoral behavior. That is, if, if people be, begin to think that that uh, death is large-scale. Death is random. Uh, then, in in some cases, that may erode some of the uh, the moral norms. Of right. Society. But Boccaccio wrote about that brilliantly in the Decameron about nobility fornicating in in in, in graveyards. Uh, the sort of the breakdown of traditional morality. I'm not sure we had any fornication, Brian, in in graveyards <laughs> in COVID times. Maybe people should have. It would have been a bit more entertaining than sitting at home and sitting on Zoom, right? Well, yeah, yes. I mean, you know, we, we had social isolation. Um, although, by the way, one of the, one of the uh, aspects, one of the consequences of social isolation is, in a sense, a radicalization process that uh, as we are isolated, you know, people spending more time uh, uh, alone uh, exploring the internet without, in a sense, the control rods of, of friends and family uh, uh, around them, uh, they, they can end up uh, uh, going down a rabbit hole. Right. Now let's, uh, um, and you're not the first or the last person, Brian, to advise people to switch the internet off, get off social media. Let's end <laughs> with the idea of recovery. The idea of societies recovering, it sounds like society, imagining societies as a body uh, in medical terms, uh, that that's in itself controversial. But very briefly, Brian, as we try, we, society, America, the world, tries to recover from COVID, what did you learn briefly? A couple of two or three bullets on how we can really do this, recover, get beyond COVID, get, get to the real aftermath of, of this plague. You know, I, I think the most striking thing is that it is really up to us. And, and that is, I know we have a tendency to, to, uh, to look for government to sort things out, to look for political leadership to sort things out. Um, Agency, and, then. That's very Randian, Brian. The government has no role here. 
And, and no, I'm not saying they have no role. They play an important role. But in terms of getting on with things, um, you know, I, I, I think the majority of the, the majority of people, not just Americans, majority of people um, really are concerned about getting on with their basic lives, taking care of themselves and their families, uh, uh, protecting themselves economically. Uh, and in a sense, I, I, I really do think that the, uh, we are the agents of, of, of change, uh, especially at a time when, when, when there is a declining trust uh, in institutions, declining trust in political leadership, it's really up to us. We make the difference. Uh, that doesn't mean that we have to have, each one of us has to have a plan for saving the world, but it means that simply by getting on with our lives, uh, instead of wringing our hands about what is going to happen, that really ultimately is the source of my optimism going forward. We have well, it's up to us. You've given me the headline, Brian, for this uh, particular episode, your new book. Plagues and Their Aftermath, How Societies Recover from Pandemics, is a very uh, entertaining and I think informative um, historical take on, on what happens after plagues. I mentioned, Brian, um, Camus' La Peste, uh, which you say is still an essential book. I couldn't agree more. Anything else that we should be reading about the plague apart from Camus' work and your book? Oh no, there. You know, there's. Uh, I am in awe of 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 some of the brilliant works by historians that have written about these past uh, pandemics. Some of them detailed studies, and I found so much in them that resonates, going all the way back to as as you mentioned Thucydides. You know, talking about in a sense uh, the kind of nihilism that took over during the the epidemic in, in Athens. And you see so much, uh, so much brilliant historical work. Uh, my, my book was simply a, an attempt to bring that together, bring it forward, and to, in a sense, provoke uh, the reader to think about some of these issues as we go forward without making, as, as you correctly point out, without making any predictions. The one feature uh, that we do know is, is that post-pandemic society will be different. Exactly how we cannot be sure, the, 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 the single word may be uncertainty. 